Absolutely wonderful to have you here. Welcome. We hope you feel welcomed and we hope uh, that uh, you speak to some of us and that we speak to you. <laughs> Just grab people and say, hi, I'm new and we'll, we'll realize it and say something, <laughs> won't we? Won't we Stoke Gifford people? Yes. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Reconciliation. What is it? Well, the dictionary on my computer said that it's achievement of compatibility and a settlement and an understanding, an appeasement or a ceasefire. That's what reconciliation means. I come from Northern Ireland originally, so I know what it's like to see people reconciled where there was no ceasefire. And we're so grateful that there has been a ceasefire for quite a number of years now. And it has brought massive change to the country of Northern Ireland because of that. And uh, there's a few of us from, from Ireland here in this congregation. And some of us actually experienced the troubles. And it was a horrible, horrible thing to grow up with. And I came back to Ireland when I was 18 from India, uh, where I grew up. And um, there was a curfew at 10 o'clock at night in Belfast. And we'd come from India where everything is open till way after midnight. And everybody's windows are open because it's so hot. And you can hear everything. You know, there's lots of noise. And we arrived in Belfast and at 10 o'clock at night it was silent. You couldn't hear anything. There was nobody on the streets because people lived in fear. And I can remember three bombs going off in Belfast city centre. And I was there at the time. And they went off just around the corner from where I was standing. And I would leg it around the corner to see the debris, you know, flying across the road. Because uh, I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. Uh, but other people, the people who had grown up in Belfast, they just all stood still for a couple of seconds. And then all just ca- carried on as if nothing had happened. And it was very odd for me to see that. But I think it was their way of surviving and coping with fear that they lived with on a daily basis. So coming from that uh, culture and having experienced some of it, I know what it's like to know that there's been a ceasefire called. Another thing I know about reconciliation is when I was a little girl, I had three, well, I still have three sisters, so there was four of us, and um, when we would fall out, as we often did, um, my mum would make us hug. They'd, she'd say, hug and make up. And everything in you didn't want to do this. You did not want to hug the person. You might go, sorry, you know. But you did not want to touch them. <laughs> and my mum had this tradition that she would make us hug. And she would push us together. <laughs> and we'd be like opposite magnets, you know, just going, yeah. and she'd push and push and push and eventually when we'd hug something would break and it was like oh we were friends again and we were able to laugh about the thing that we'd found so annoying and was so angry or hurt about and it was as if there was peace with the world again my mother would wrap her arms around us and give us a kiss on our heads and everything was all right again and I think it's so interesting isn't it that There's something in us that repels from reconciliation. We know how wonderful it is, 
but something in us just doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and I can remember that feeling as a child with my mum and my sisters. And we laugh about it now. We're all mums, and we've done the same thing with our children. <laughs> and it's just funny to share stories about, yeah, yeah, it's human nature to want to repel from one another. It's part of the fallen state that we're in, isn't it? It's not just about being um, having a, an alienation between us and God, but it's also an alienation between us and each other, us and ourselves, us and creation. And we're told to preach the gospel to all creation, so to one another, to ourselves to the creation around us and bring reconciliation. That's what it's all about. We're told in, this, in verse 19 of that reading that you have been reconciled. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. I've been doing a bit of uh, historical research for my third book, uh, and I've been reading up all about what happened in Jerusalem uh, in AD 70. And it has been quite shocking for me to grasp that an old way that God had provided for people to encounter him ended in AD 70. And Jesus predicted when he was alive, and he stood in the temple, and he predicted that one day this temple was going to be destroyed. And this whole way of making connection with God was going to be over. And in AD 70, it was utterly destroyed. The temple was laying waste. There was not one stone left on top of the other. It was an appalling tragedy that happened, and millions died. And Many more were taken into slavery and sent all over the world. And the dispersion of the Jews went right out across the world then. And that was the end of an old way of reconciliation. And Jesus had come and he predicted it and he'd said, I'm the way, I'm the lamb, I'm the sacrifice. You're not going to need to keep sacrificing in the temple to be reconciled to God. You're not going to need to come regularly, week by week, and, and pay for your sins. I'm it. And not just for the Jews, but for all people. All people. And in the Jewish temple, there was an allowance for all people to come and bring their sacrifices. And you know what's really interesting? That the start of the war that ended Jerusalem and the temple there was because one of the Pharisees, one of the leaders in the temple, decided that they would no longer accept sacrifices from the Romans to Jehovah. And they said, no more aliens aren't allowed to come in and bring their offerings. And that was it. They insulted Caesar, they insulted Rome, and that was the beginning of the end. Because God's heart is for all people. His desire for Israel was that they would be a blessing to all nations. That's the promise Abraham had, that 
your children will be the blessing to all nations. All people will be blessed because of you. And Jesus came so that that could be fulfilled, so that all people of all races, all religions, all skin colors, all traditions, all cultures could be reconciled to God. It's a phenomenal thing that happened. And we celebrate it tonight with the symbols that we've used in this baptism service. It says in verse 17 that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. That's what's happened in this symbolic act that we've all witnessed and been part of. You go under the water, you're identifying with Jesus in his death, you're choosing to let go of your old nature, your fallenness without God, without relationship with him. And you're dying with Jesus on the cross and you leave that under the water and then you come up out of the water symbolizing that you're rising again with him to newness of life, that you're empowered by his Holy Spirit to live for him and that daily you're going to choose to let the Holy Spirit rule over you to let the river that we sang about over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. Let that river flow through you and me. Let that river flow undammed, unstopped. I pray regularly on a daily basis that the Holy Spirit will rule over my mind, will rule over my emotions, will rule over the biology of my body, and rule over my spirit. I pray that most days I'm going into um, the menopause so I'm really praying for my hormones (laughs) that they will be ruled by the Holy Spirit and that it won't be too traumatic for Simon (laughs) Amen brother yes preach it preach it (laughs) but that's what it means that the old has gone and the new has come it does it's not a finished done deal not until I die and go to be with Jesus or until he returns it's not a done deal it's a work in progress you and I are a work in progress the new has come the old is going and it's a decision we make on a daily basis and I'm going to live by this Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus I'm going to let him rule in my life I'm going to let him flow through me I'm going to ask him to flow through me and rule over me and then in verse 15 we're told to live for him he died for all that those who live should not no longer live for themselves but for him and previous to that it says that we believe that Christ died for all and therefore all have died And the inference then is that therefore all should be able to rise to newness of life with him. All people. Jesus came for all people. Not just for special people. Although you are all very special. Not just for the super good ones. But for all people. And we're called that if we have put our trust in him and what he's done for us on the cross... And that we live for him, live for him. 
I got baptized when I was 18 in uh, Karachi Beach <laughs> with the Bishop of Karachi, who'd never done an adult baptism before. And he dunked me three times in the sea without any warning. Uh, and I swallowed quite a lot of that water, and I really don't think that was a good idea, but yeah. <laughs> and um, I knew that when I got baptized, it meant that I was to wholeheartedly live for Jesus. And I went to a group at school where we were learning about living for God with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I was a member of a, also a member of a jazz band. I used to play the guitar and play um, rhythm, the rhythm section, but I'd always turn the microphone off when I didn't know the chords and then turn it back just mime. <laughs> Um, and we went down to uh, the valley. We, I, went, I lived in a, in a boarding school up in the Himalayan mountains. And we went down to the valley in a place called Derudun for a weekend of a jazz festival. And we were playing at this festival. And then it was late in the evening when we came back up the hill. And it was a very windy road and it took a long time. And I was sitting in the middle of a bench seat in a taxi with a friend of mine that I knew from this Christian group that I'd been going to since I'd been baptized. And I'd recently um, got to know him quite well and his parents. It was actually his mother that had grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and dragged me to uh, Bible studies and talked to me about Jesus and a bit like your wife and mother and all. (laughs) Yeah. So it was his mum and... um, I really trusted him, and I put my head on his shoulder, and I was dozing in the taxi as we went up the hill after this jazz concert. And, uh, however, what happened next was really awful for me. I became aware that he was touching me inappropriately, and that he was molesting me, but it was in this crowded setting of a taxi, and I didn't know what to do. So I sat up and just didn't say anything, just moved away from him a bit. And for days I loathed this person and I avoided him at all costs. I was so angry with him. It was such a fierce emotion that I couldn't sleep at night. And eventually I managed to begin to pray about how I felt about what he'd done to me. And knowing that even in this I needed to find out how to live for God how to live for Jesus and not for myself. And I asked the Lord to lead me and show me how I could do this, how he could form his nature, his new creation in me, even in this situation. And the next day I happened to find a poem which showed me what I must do as one who claimed to live for Jesus. The poem was called Forgive Me, and it was written by Ulrich Schaefer. And that enabled me to step into my friend's shoes because I, I was reading it as if I was the one that had done something wrong. And I thought, yeah, I would really like to be forgiven. And so I wrote out the poem, but I changed it and I called it, I Forgive You. And I sent it to him. And this is the poem. I forgive you for using me to gratify your own desires for not caring enough about me or my feelings. I forgive your short-sightedness, your lack of self-discipline. 
I won't make you feel cheap for it. I'll allow you to come close to me again so that you can build up what your egotism has destroyed. I won't lock you out of my life, but I'll try to teach you respect, teach you to love the wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. And up until the moment I sent that letter of forgiveness, I was bound by a bitter rage. My old nature, my old drives of self-preservation and self-promotion had kicked in. The new creation that God had begun in me was overwhelmed with the strong old emotions. But once I sent that poem, something broke in me. A bit like when my mum used to make us hug and make up. Something broke in me and I was free to trust Jesus to judge him rather than me judging him. And that I'd also trust Jesus to defend me. And God's work of creating his new nature resumed in me. My friend's response was overwhelming. His letter that he wrote in reply was spattered with tears as he confessed his personal and secret struggles, saying I was the only person that really knew him, called his sin, sin, but still accepted him without any pretense. It released him from the guilt and the shame of his old sinful nature, which he felt so strongly and enabled him to receive true love, the thing that old lusts had perverted. It released us both from old ways of dealing with old sins and enabled us both to live for Jesus in a new way. And as a result, a life-giving, meaningful, and strong friendship grew between us that has lasted over the years to this day. That's reconciliation. And that's just an illustration of what's happening around the world all the time. And what is the solution? If it isn't Jesus, if it isn't him sending his Holy Spirit upon us to enable us to be reconciled to one another. Because we do appalling things to one another, don't we? What is the solution? If it's not Jesus. And we're called to be those who live for him even when we've been wronged and be those who are brokering reconciliation even if we're the wronged party. You who were baptized today, you have been called now to be ambassadors for Christ. That's your job now. You're an ambassador. Imagine if you were the American ambassador in Syria. (laughs) Imagine what that would be like. Well, you and I are ambassadors of Jesus Christ and our job is to broker reconciliation. That's our job. In a hostile environment. And that's what we've been called to do. I'm just going to read you a story to close with uh, which illustrates this even better. 
verse 20 says, we, therefore, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and though God, as, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Give in. Hug and make up. <laughs> Let God hug you. Let Jesus wrap his arms around you and wash you in his blood and get rid of all the stuff that stands between you and him. Let him do it. We implore you today. If you haven't been reconciled to God, if there's something that's blocking the way between you and him tonight, then we implore you as his ambassadors, be reconciled tonight. A frail black woman stands slowly to her feet in a South African court. She is about 70 years old. Facing her from across the room are several white police officers, one of whom, Mr. Vanderbrook, has just been tried and found implicated in the murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. It was indeed Mr. Vanderbrook, it has now been established, who had come to the woman's home a number of years back, taken her son, shot him at point-blank range, and then burned the young man's body on a fire while he and his officers partied nearby. Several years later, Vanderbrook and his security police colleagues had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbrook came back to fetch the woman himself, herself. How vividly she remembers that evening, going to a place beside a river where she was shown her husband bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him aflame were, Father, forgive them. And now the woman stands in the court and listens to the confessions offered by Mr. Vanderbrook, a member of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, turns to her and asks, so what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and then continues. My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr. Vanderbrook to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining within me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that I offer him my forgiveness because Jesus Christ died to forgive. This was also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side, lead me across the courtroom, so that I can take Mr. Vanderbrook in my arms, embrace him, and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants come to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr. Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he has just heard, faints. (laughs) 
And as he does, those in the courtroom, friends, family, neighbors, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing softly, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This old woman was an ambassador for Christ in the most trying of circumstances. And she was imploring this man, Mr. Vanderbrook, to be reconciled to her, but also to God. That's our job. And so tonight, as part of my job, I would like to invite you to be reconciled to God. If there is anything that is blocking the way between you and him, it doesn't have to be like that. Jesus has done everything that is necessary to bring you close to God. Maybe you've been wronged. Maybe you've been deeply hurt. Maybe you've had trials and difficulties that have made life almost unbearable for you. And you don't understand why God, if he's good, let these things happen to you. Well, I'd encourage you to come tonight to the frontier. Take some water from the baptismal pool. Pour it down on your own head. (laughs) And put your trust in Jesus again. And ask God to give you more of his Holy Spirit to help you, to enable you in your circumstances. If you feel like I did as a little girl, like opposite magnets, like you just do not want to (laughs) come close to God, even that I'd say to you, still do it, hug and make up. You will not regret it. There is nothing you will regret about coming close to God and being reconciled to him. You don't have to try and be good. Often people think that's what Christianity is about. It's not about being good. It's about being loved and loving in return. And the work of God's love in our hearts changes us. That's what makes us good. Not by our own effort. And so many hesitate to come close to God because they think, oh, well, I, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't be good enough. Of course you can't. That's the whole point. <laughs> Jesus came to do it for you and for me. So I'd implore you, if that's holding you back, don't let it. Come close to God tonight. And if you're a Christian and you've not really taken seriously the responsibility you have to be an ambassador, then I'd ask you to come as well. Come and take hold of that calling on your life. God has called you to be an ambassador for him, to speak on his behalf, to broker reconciliation to others. So I'm going to hand over to Sai, who'll just lead this time of ministry. But let me just pray before I do that. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. You are the Spirit of Jesus and you were poured out 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem and you have been with all those who believed and trusted in your Son, Jesus Christ. 
to this day. And we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you are among us, that you are moving in this place. And we pray you would do the work of reconciliation. Move powerfully, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come. We welcome you. We welcome you. In a hurting world, Lord, we are desperate for reconciliation. In a lonely world, in an isolated world, we long to be connected and united with others and with you, Lord, but we don't know how to do it. And we pray you'd lead us and help us. In Jesus' name, amen.